now is the time to join the DC family. Secure your season ticket membership for the 2020-2021 season today for as little as $100 per seat and lock in all the exclusive benefits of DC 12 Club membership. Visit dc12club.com to learn more. That's dc12club.com. The 2020 NBA Draft is right around the corner, and we want to remind you that all Wizards draft content is presented by Geico. Um, and speaking of the draft, we have a draft expert with us on this episode of Off the Bench, brought to you by the Alibaba Group, Sam Vecini from The Athletic, The Athletic's draft, resident draft expert, all the way from Australia, uh, recently moved there, uh, happy to join us. What is Friday in Australia, Thursday evening in Washington, D.C., Sam How's it going down under? And how many times do you hear people say that to you? Man, Zach, you, you know the times over here better than I do. I got to tell you, because <laughs> uh, I'm just kind of flying by the seat of my pants uh, during this draft cycle. And like, it's funny, like I'm even looking at my computer right now. It says 2.02 p.m. on Thursday because I have all of my clocks still set to American time. So I know what time it is over there. So I am, uh, I am very, very impressed that you are uh, more up on it than I am apparently right now. Well, I think it was important that we knew you'd be awake. That was the, uh, the minimum there. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's the key. Um, but uh, oh. I want to jump, just jump right into the draft. Um, yeah, we, right now we are six days away. Um, there's, you know, rumors galore. Obviously, we don't have any inside info. We're just the digital guys. And uh, uh, we just wanted to, to talk to you about, you know, what it's looking like for the Wizards at nine. Some of the things you've been you've been hearing about, you know, um, just the top 10 in general, the lottery and if things have really shifted recently. Because I know, you know, you've been putting out mock drafts basically the past year plus. So you've been really uh, with this class from the beginning, as you always are with the draft. Yeah, no, that's true. I am interested to see what happens with the Wizards here at number nine. I think that they're in a difficult place to project right now, if only because I think that there has potential to be a real real sense of movement across the board uh, ahead of them. Uh, obviously, Minnesota and Golden State are getting a lot of publicity for the potential to look into different trade opportunities that come to them. Uh, I, I would look at teams like San Antonio, Boston, Orlando as teams that could potentially try to move up. Uh, it's, it's fascinating right now to try and figure out, you know, what will this draft order ahead of the Wizards end up looking like on draft night and trying to play out those potential roles and scenarios in my brain as we try to uh, just kind of game plan out potential outcomes here. Maybe not overanalyzing, but I mean, this is this has to be the most analyzed, thought about, uh, gone back and thought about again draft class, just simply because they've had the longest time to look at this board. Oh, it's hilarious. I was texting my buddy, uh, Matt Penny, who comes on my podcast pretty regularly, and we talk about the NBA draft. And I was like, dude, I'm watching Mason Jones tape right now for like the 15th time. And like, I think I'm in, like, I think, uh, I think I'm like a hundred percent in, like, I'm going to have him as like a mid second round guy. Like this is one of my guys in this draft. And he just goes, dude, 
this draft is waterboarding. Uh, his exact uh, message was like right, wrong, indifferent, whatever. We're just out here talking ourselves into wild things now. Uh, and I feel like when I talk to NBA executives, some of that is true, right? Like some of that is absolutely real. Like we are absolutely uh, overanalyzing this thing to death. And I'm someone who tends to think that you can't go far enough when it comes to uh, looking into everything and looking into all of the potential outcomes. But you know what? Like <laughs> we can only watch the tape so many times over and over and over again and derive new value from it. So, uh, you know, the teams that have gotten to see some of these guys in workouts, I think that uh, – they're certainly maybe deriving a few new things, although those workouts are limited to no more than 10 players. So they're not deriving too much from a class-wide perspective. But, you know, I would like to think that the Wizards have gotten a chance to have some guys in, see if there's any tangible difference in terms of the way that guys are playing now. And hopefully you're able to make some rational, conscious decisions. But, uh, you know, it's it's a tough it's a tough sell for me right now, uh, trying to figure out how all of this, you know, extended five month window that we have into this draft is going to actually affect things. It's going to be a quite the quick turnaround for these guys too. I mean, usually they have like a few weeks and then they go to summer league and then they have the whole summer to themselves. I mean, a lot of them just go and work out, but how do you think that's going to like change being a rookie in the NBA? going into this year? I mean, I don't think we have the answers, but have you like heard a lot of discussion about that? And if that impacts how teams are drafting and stuff like that, are they going to be willing to wait, you know, for someone who might be younger and more immature to, to really develop? Or is it just kind of like throwing things against the wall and hoping it works out? Yeah. For the most part, I have not really heard that teams are going to draft players who are more ready now as opposed to guys that are more future-based players, right? Uh, that's just not something that I think teams will do for the reason that, look, you get these guys for four years on rookie scale deals. You get them for uh, an additional four years of team control if they turn good. You know, you teams are worried about what these guys do as rookies because they want to see progress. They want to see growth. They want to see development. Uh, they hope that by the end of the year, they can get guys that are ready to play uh, rotational minutes. But at the end of the day, like there's a real understanding among NBA front offices that look, we're not drafting these guys for year one production. We're drafting them for who they are down the road. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a really tough turnaround for these guys. They don't get summer league to get indoctrinated. They don't get uh, some time in the off season just to get to know their teammates. But yeah, I think that uh, I don't think it's going to tangibly change the way that teams evaluate players in this class. Of the Speaking of just getting into kind of a few names that we've been seeing over and over again around that nine pick, maybe not necessarily who is, is always being drafted to the Wizards, but the guys who are going to be in that vicinity, because like you said, the, the, the order can change. There could be a team that falls in love with somebody just maybe one or two spots ahead, assuming that the Wizards stay put at nine. It just might not be, might not be in the cards for, for a couple guys to get down to them, but of the, maybe the five guys that are in that range, who who to you stood out the most um, when you were watching through these guys' tape and and then figuring out um, what your big board might look like, just from a pure uh, NBA prospect standpoint, maybe not even necessarily 
uh, with relation to the Wizards' current situation. Yeah, look, the guy that uh, I really love for the Wizards and the guy that I have at number four on my board, like he is the highest ranked guy outside of the uh, Lamelo Wiseman Edwards here for me is Onyeka Okongwu. Uh, one of my favorite prospects that I've evaluated in a long time in the NBA just plays so hard, has a sense of professionalism, maturity, uh, really helps just like direct guys out there, even as a teenager at USC. Like every single thing that he does, I think actually is going to translate to him playing a role somewhat early in the NBA. There'll probably be an adjustment period, but he's also 245 pounds. He's really athletic. He's extremely prepared for playing in pick and roll coverages defensively in a way that very few big men are. He is the guy that, for me, I look at him in this class, even above a lot of the, you know, top three guys that I have there, because I think their upside is tremendously high. I just look at Onyeka Okongwu, and I'm struggling to see how that guy fails at the NBA level. Uh, he might not be, like, the comparison that gets made is Bam Adebayo. I think he's a little bit slower twitch than Bam Adebayo. I don't think he's shown the ball control, the ball handling, the passing ability that Bam Adebayo showed at lower levels, including like high school and AAU levels. Uh, you know, we didn't really get to see Bam do it at Kentucky, but it was more of a situational thing at Kentucky there where they posted him all the time and did uh, just very limited stuff with him on the offensive end. And he's grown into that uh you know, more expanded role in Miami. We haven't really seen any of that from Onyeka, you know, at lower levels, like when he played at Chino Hills and when he played for the Compton Magic and everything like that. So I don't think that that comparison is quite valid, but I also refuse to kind of bet against a dude who is this professional and driven and just like high level as a kid uh and mature and intelligent like I, I just kind of am willing to bet on him figuring it out e even if he's not like some superstar I think he's going to be uh, a decade-long NBA player for a long time you're a draft experts so you know that people love to hear player comparisons like you just mentioned uh what are some of like who are some of the other comparisons maybe not you know the top three projected that everyone kind of puts in its own tier but some of these other guys that maybe people don't uh, know as much about you know the four to 15 range yeah I, I would say that uh you know I really like Isaac Okoro uh Isaac Okoro I guess would be like a Andre Iguodala-y type of player uh Tyrese Halliburton is you know, something similar to what Lonzo Ball's role has been with the Pelicans, where he's probably not quite a primary point guard, but uh, really plays a strong role as a ball mover, as a guy who can lead the break in transition and then hopefully space the floor. Uh, you know, Obi Toppin, I would say, like, you know, you're looking at someone like a John Collins, maybe. Uh, you know, that I think that that's the hope there. Uh, you know, Devin Vassell, I think, stands out for me as someone like a – uh, you know, a Danny Green type uh, for the Spurs and Lakers and Raptors over the last few years. Uh, you know, I'm, tr I'm trying to think of other names here off the top of my head for you. Uh, you know, Killian Hayes, like Killian Hayes kind of plays a similar style game offensively to what D'Angelo Russell does. Uh, you know, I think he's way more left-hand dominant than D'Angelo is and doesn't have as much shake off the bounce as D'Angelo, but it's kind of a 
uh, a similarly ball dominant, left hand dominant game. Uh, you know, th- these things are just meant to get me in trouble whenever these people don't uh, don't live up to this status. So I just want to be very clear <laughs> that. Uh, when I say all of these names, I don't mean that Isaac Okoro is going to be like a borderline Hall of Famer like Andre Iguodala <laughs> does. I just mean it from a stylistic perspective in terms of the way that they see and play the game. So if you're going to create a player in 2K for our younger fans out there, this would be the model, you know, the body type, the, the, the type of player you'd be building off. Not, it doesn't guarantee you're going to turn into that player. Yes, right. I think that that is uh, that is important to mention. The important disclaimer: some of these some of these guys um, that have not gotten the chance to. We're, we're, I guess the, the broader question: What do you make of the difference between getting a year of professional play wh- wherever it is, whether that's R.J. Hampton, Killian Hayes, obviously playing in Europe, um, further up the board, Denny of and obviously Lamelo? Do you think that that is it is it really come down to just skill set still at that point, or is there something different that they glean from those experiences that alters their their evaluation process? Does do do they do these guys get their tape looked at similar to college in, in terms of um, the evaluation process, or is are they approached differently than than you might see a freshman at Kentucky or a freshman at North Carolina? Sure. Yeah. No, I think that every player, part of the evaluation process is trying to figure out what level did they play against? Who was their competition? What was their quality of competition like? Uh, The NBL, for instance, I think is a better league than any college basketball league that, you know, LaMelo Ball would have played in last year. It's filled with professionals. It's filled with super high level people. Uh, It's filled with, you know, guys that might not necessarily be as athletic is what he would have seen in the ACC or in the SEC, but uh, a much more skilled game. Uh, you know, Denny Avdia was playing in EuroLeague last year. So, like, you know, EuroLeague is the second best league in the world. It's a very, very high level of competition. Uh, so when you see that Denny Avdia averaged, like, seven points a game in, or six points a game in EuroLeague last year, it doesn't mean he sucks. It just means that he's a 19-year-old playing professional basketball at an exceedingly high level. Uh, but, you know, we even have to do that with college prospects, right? Like, you know, uh, uh, Anthony Edwards playing in the SEC is different than, uh, you know, Malachi Flynn playing in the Mountain West Conference. And it's different than the Mountain West Conference is different than the Colonial Athletic Association where Grant Riller played and where Nate Knight played. So, like, you always have to make the determination in terms of what is the quality of competition this guy played? What kind of athletes did he go against? Uh, what was the context of his situation uh, within those roles as well? Is it a role that's translatable to the next level? Is it a role that uh, is going to uh, be completely altered at the next level? For instance, with some of these post-up bigs like an Isaiah Stewart, he's very rarely going to post at the next level just because teams don't do that. So trying to figure out what are their translatable skills to, uh, you know, move into a different role. Do teams think Isaiah Stewart can shoot like I do? Do, uh, despite the fact that he took like 10 threes this year. Uh, it's, it's fascinating trying to figure out all of the different layers of the onion, because it really is, uh, it really is just like unpeeling a lot of different 
factors that go into all of the contextual situations that these kids uh, have to undertake every year. Last one for me, Sam, is I know you've mentioned a lot of names. Um, and, you know, some guys you're more bullish on maybe than others, like you're saying, texting your, your buddy about a, a prospect. Were there any other names you just wanted to drop as, uh, you know, sleepers? It doesn't really matter, you know, even if you think they could go undrafted, just guys you, you've liked that maybe will get overlooked or might surprise people when they get picked. Too, too many names is my problem. <laughs> like You've watched too much tape. Well, my thing is, like, I tend to be a pretty – positive person on these kids a lot of the time too like for instance like I spent yesterday really digging into the guys that I have like 60 to 75 on my board right now and I was like man I freaking love watching Nate Hinton's tape at Houston because he's just the toughest dude on the court at all times he plays super hard he can shoot a little bit he's like six foot five with a good wingspan it's just like okay maybe this is a guy on a two-way contract that I get excited about uh you know Saban Lee is another one at Vanderbilt who I think might be like the freakiest athlete uh as a lead guard in this class and if you're gonna bet on someone why not just bet on like the crazy freaky athlete who can do a bunch of different stuff right um in terms of like pure second rounders because uh if i remember correctly the wizards have 37 yep. that number right? yep. yeah, right. uh, <laughs> I, I would look at a few guys uh it, i think it depends on what they do at number uh nine if they go smaller on the wing there is a pretty real strong class of bigs at 37, where they could end up with someone, you know, maybe a Daniel Aturu falls, maybe a Zeke Naji falls, maybe a uh, Paul Reed is sitting on the board there. Uh, you know, maybe they get clearances from their medical teams from Killian Tilly to take him. Uh, Yudok Azabuke is another one that I think could potentially be on the board. So, you know, just looking at those guys, I think might be interesting. Uh, a few, a few wings that I would point out as well. I like Elijah Hughes at Syracuse as a shot maker. Uh, I do like Mason Jones as a guy that I would just kind of bet on because his story is incredible. Uh, and I think that there's probably not a single player in the NBA draft this year that's on a higher upward trajectory than Mason Jones has been over the course of the last five years of his career. Uh, you know, Emmanuel Quickly's a shooter. I don't know that Isaiah Joe gets there to 37. I like Tyshawn Alexander a little bit, but there are some there are some wings that should potentially be available for the Wizards to take a shot on as well. What uh, what do you have to leave with us from Australia? What are your uh, your your uh, <laughs> draft 101 things to consider going to this draft? Oh man, I would say that I don't love the top of this draft. Um, I do not like if I was in the top three, I would be trying to trade this pick. Uh, I've been saying that pretty much from the jump. I like where the wizards sit. If I was them, I might try to like move up to number seven or number six or something, just like a little bit to get Onyeka Kongwu because I think it's just such a perfect fit for everything that they do. I think there is a chance that he gets to nine, but. I, if the price wasn't, you know, off the rails to move up a couple of spots, I would probably be willing to do that. Uh, I think that I would also leave you with the fact that 
you know, you mentioned the guys that I like in the second round and like the undrafted guys that I think have a chance to make it. I think this is a really deep draft. The more that I look into it, the more that uh, I overanalyze these guys and dive into the weeds of the tape. I think that this is a very good class to find role players who can help you. I don't think it's a great star class. I think we're probably going to see fewer all-stars from this class than what we typically would see in an NBA draft. But I think we're going to see a lot of guys who go in the second round, go undrafted, uh, a higher proportion than most years that end up becoming reasonable level NBA role players. Well, that's good advice, I think. Um, what, uh, anything to plug before we go? Anything to plug? Oh, man. Uh, just go listen to my podcast. Go listen to the Game Theory podcast. And I think that that's all I've got for you guys. Like, I'm, you know, I'm trying to, trying to finish a bigger project that will hopefully go Monday and just subscribe to The Athletic and you'll be able to find it there. And everyone can find you on Twitter at Sam underscore Vecini. Um, got that updated Melbourne, Australia uh, spot there too. So it's, it's <laughs> official if it's on your Twitter, that's for sure. That is true. All right, Sam. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Off the Bench presented by the Alibaba Group. Uh, we've got another podcast coming next week, actually, with your colleague, David Aldridge. So that'll be our last uh, podcast before uh, the draft. So we'll talk to you guys then. Take care. <laughs>